0: reading is from Revelation chapter 19 beginning at verse 11. The heavenly warrior defeats the beast. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. King of kings and lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to the birds flying in midair Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth (laughs) and their armies gathered gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus, because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Andrew comes up to uh, bring God's word to us, I'll just say a prayer for you.
1: Lord, we thank you for Andrew, Um, we thank you for his ability and knowledge to share your word. As he comes and speaks, may his words be your words, Lord, and may our hearts be open to hear your words to us today. Lovely to see you again. Uh, I said last week that I would do a few uh, sheets of notes, given the complexity of uh, what we were dealing with last week. I've got them here, so I'll leave them on the front, come and help yourself. I've done about 25, I guess that was roughly the number that uh, put their hands up. And if there's more than 25, befriend somebody who had, had one. There we go. Thank you. Now, a little bit like last week, uh, the events following the return of Jesus are so many, complex and varied from various parts of Scripture, I've had to be very selective again. And I'm going to just make reference to four things that will be occurring. When Jesus Returns. That leaves about 165 unreferred to. Please don't be cross with me if I haven't picked your four. I'm I'm not going to deal like an exposition with these passages that we've read. I wanted them read so that you will get something of the feel of the whole So there's a lot in here uh, about conflict, about overcoming, uh, about the saints and their role, and about uh, the casting out of Satan. There's a lot about the millennium. I'm not going to deal with it, simply because it's far too technical in terms of biblical exposition and complex for a morning like this to do justice to it. You really would have to do it in a Bible study and a seminar kind of setting where there could be dialogue as well as teaching. Forgive me? Well, (laughs) that worries me. Not everybody (laughs) did. What's going to happen when Jesus comes? Number one, the resurrection of the body. Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter is devoted to the resurrection of the body. But in essence, again, a long, complex teaching that um, he gives, he says that we shall have the same likeness to Jesus. So he rose from the dead in a resurrection body, and has become the first fruits of those who will also rise from the dead. As he was, so shall we be. That's exciting, isn't it? Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. It's marvelous. So, what was Jesus like? Well, he was real, it was a real body. He said to Thomas, Touch me. He ate breakfast, he ate fish, he was able to consume. But Paul said the difference between that body and this is not that it can't be touched and that it's not real. The difference is it is a spiritual body by which he means it is spiritually nurtured and sustained. At the moment, these are physical bodies in the sense that they are physically sustained. You don't eat, do not drink, you will not live. There, you may eat, you may drink, but it isn't necessary for life because the life is sustained by the dynamic of God and spirit. But it will be just real. It will be us, it will be me, but thankfully transformed. Real body. It would be recognizable, this body. I love the story of Jesus at the lakeside, and Peter and the disciples are out in the boat, and he looks across at the shore, and he says, it's Jesus! And he was surprised and shocked and joyful and wondering what on earth it was all about, but he did recognize him. Now, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 is like this. The resurrection body is related to our present bodies in the same way that a seed is related to the full plant, the full flower. So, says Paul, you put a seed into the ground and what grows up is not another seed. What grows up is a plant that contains other seeds, but it is significantly different to a little seed. It's the same with us. We put our bodies into the grave. But what will come up will be related to, in relationship to, but it will be infinitely more beautiful and infinitely more glorious. Now, you may think you're beautiful and glorious now, but you are nothing compared to what you will be. And the older we get, the more we say, Amen, bring it on, Lord. It will be re- uh, and uh, real, recognizable, and relevant. It will not be bound by the same physical <laughs> laws, just as Jesus was able to come and go and appear and go through physical... Walls and stuff like that. So it will be relevant to that total new reality. When will we get this resurrection body? The answer is when Jesus comes. So I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must be clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When Jesus comes, we will be raptured, changed in the process To receive our resurrection body. I think in scripture, at a pastoral level, this is one of the key hopes. It is the hope of glory in a new body. Just consider the damage that has been done to our bodies in the course of our lifetimes. The damage that's been done to minds. The damage that's been done to psyches and the whole deterioration in our physical, mental, emotional and spiritual condition as a result of sin in us, in the world and the world the flesh and the devil but it's going to finish it will be perfect and then as Revelation says, no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. So what are you looking forward to doing with your new resurrection body? I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to be able to play golf again. (laughs) See, I've got rheumatoid arthritis, and so I have to take quite strong medication, and I haven't been on the golf course for years. I'm going to play with Bernhard Langer (laughs) because he's a Christian and he's been a great golfer. So he's just going to take me round and we'll have a game together. What are your hopes of glory? A resurrection body. Second, judgments. Uh, We did read in uh, Revelation something of the judgments that are coming. Verse 11 of chapter 20 in Revelation said, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that was in them and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what he had done. So here we have a great extraordinary scene, a large trial, what's often referred to as the trial of the great white throne. The judge sitting in command of the whole proceedings is Jesus, it is not God the Father, he has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Before him are the prisoners, all who have lived ever on the earth, great and small. The evidence is opened up according to books that have been kept in heaven, written in heaven. And at the end of the whole trial, the verdict is given. And the verdict is guilty. Except for those who pleaded guilty in this life. If you already plead guilty, the judge will offer in this life forgiveness and cleansing and a whole new start. But that plea of, early plea of guilty needs to start now. Otherwise, on that occasion, that will be a terrible, terrible judgment. Judgment is very important. Very important. First of all, it's very important for God. The judgment like this, the Great White Throne will be God's final vindication. You see, on this earth, God has been blamed for a lot of things, hasn't he? His character has been questioned, his name has been blasphemed. But as a result of judgment, God will be seen to have been true and righteous in all and every situation. Secondly, judgment is vital for antichrist, false prophets, and their followers in every age. And everyone will be judged from high to low according to the light they had, whether Christian, Jewish, Muslim, pagan, but Paul argues in Romans, everyone falls short of the light that they had, potentially. So there will be no excuse. And the joy that lies in uh, judgment will be seen by all. I hope and pray that the people that are causing tragedy in our earth today in the Ukraine, as we were led in prayer, I hope they come and plead guilty at this stage. But if not, they will suffer judgment in the hereafter. That is the word of God. And whilst we don't rejoice in that, we long that all men might come to the knowledge of salvation. There will be a sense of justice finally being done when it has been denied on the earth. The great cry of the prophets and the great longing of the psalmist is that justice might roll our down like rivers. And we might see it because it is a good thing. It's a good thing for God. It's a good thing to know that justice is being done and it's also good for believers. Again, there will be a profound sense of vindication for Many believers throughout the generations have suffered injustice. They've suffered persecution. They have suffered martyrdom. The saints have suffered and continue to suffer because of the battle that wages between good and evil in our world. And so for believers, it would be a wonderful vindication and the good thing for all of us is this. It will answer the question, why? And let's not pretend we haven't asked the question, why? Why did God allow this? Why didn't he answer that prayer? The answer is coming on the day of judgment, and it will be a good thing. I think it's worth mentioning that as as well as the judgment of the great white throne, there will also be a time for Christian accountability. There is, as it were, another arena for justice. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all, believers this is, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what we have done in the body, whether good or ill. So there is going to come a time after the Lord returns, when things settle down a bit, when there will be a process of Christian accountability. Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians 3. He uses the metaphor of a builder. And he says, we are like builders. We all build with material that is to hand. And he uses the example of saying, some of you will build with gold, some silver, and some precious stone. But there will be others that use stone, wood, hay, and stubble. And he said, on that day of accountability and judgment for believers, some of the works that have been done will be burned with fire, It will be seen as of little value. But you will be saved. So there is this point of accountability ahead for all of us. I liken the difference between the Great White Throne and Christian accountability to the difference between the Chelsea Flower Show and the Old Bailey. If you're good enough, to submit something to the Chelsea Flower Show, it is serious business. The judges come, they examine, they probe, they look into. It's a very serious business and people take it very seriously. But when it's all done at four o'clock, you go home and have a cup of tea. Whereas if you're under judgment at the Old Bailey, you could very well not go home, ever. The consequences and the outcome are completely different. That's the difference, if you will, between the great white throne and the judgment of Christ. The final word on hell. It's a big subject, and again, no time to go into it in detail, but it's a big debate and has been for some years in theological circles between Traditionalists and annihilationists. Those who say annihilationists, when we've finished on this earth and uh, if you haven't believed in Jesus, then you would just be annihilated and you won't have a future beyond that point. I, I simply cannot square that with scripture uh, because it seems to me that it was Jesus who spoke most about hell. Now, the wise and wherefores of hell are beyond our remit. It's above my pay grade. But the fact that Jesus spoke so much about it means at the very least we need to take it intensely seriously. Okay? With me so far? Resurrection body? Judgment? Judgment? To even better things, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 and verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude... Like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peal of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Now, there are a number of parables that Jesus himself spoke about foreseeing this event. Matthew 22 speaks about a king who prepared a banquet for his son. Matthew 26, wise and foolish virgins prepare for a banquet. Jesus, at the Last Supper, promises that he will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new in my Father's kingdom. I find it fascinating that one of the first things that we will experience in glory is so very earthly. It's like I'll fit you in into something that you really recognize and you're going to love it. It's a wedding feast something we can all relate to. Now, we've all been to weddings, and uh, wedding receptions vary enormously, but they are invariably (coughs) joyful and happy occasions. Well, imagine the best of the weddings you've ever been to. Multiply it by infinity, and that's what it's going to be like. Amazing, isn't it? Our son got married... um, Years ago, and he and Emma, Matt and Emma, uh, hired a, a, a farm down in the New Forest that had sleeping accommodation, and 70 of us went and stayed there. They got married on a Friday morning. We spent the whole of the rest of the weekend in this extraordinary farm. It, it was one of those days when the sun shone from first thing in the morning to last thing at night. And it just was an incredible celebration over three days. I was so tired at the end (laughs) of it. But um, Indian weddings last well over a week. They just go on and on and on and on. They must be exhausted at the end of it. So there's not going to be any hurry about this. Don't imagine you're going to pop in at three and be home by six, because you won't be. Reunion, extraordinary it's going to be. Old friends, loved ones. How did he get in here? <laughs> he could be looking around and just wondering at who is there, and hallelujah, I never expected her. Brilliant. And no name labels. That's what I, I know name labels are necessary these days, especially at evangelical conferences. But we will be known as we are known. There will be a knowing, a deep knowing of everyone. It's going to be very special. Who are you looking forward to talking to? Just think of the opportunities for chat one of the apostles, some of the great reformers, Mother Teresa, hello, like a cup of tea, let's go and chat. Won't it be amazing? And what about the food? I'm a foodie, love my food. One of our regular conversations when we had an extended household was uh, we sat around the table, what do you think we're going to eat at the marriage supper of the lamb? And different people would speculate from pizzas, you know who that would be, they're kind of that size, love pizzas and uh, and so forth. And we had living with us for a while, AD, well I'd say for a while, a long uh, and is a chef, and he was working at the time on film sets doing uh, chefing for All and Sundry. And we were having this conversation about what we're going to ha- have to eat. And Aidy said, oh, I can't answer that. I said, why not? We thought with you, with his great love of food and everything, you'd love it. No, he said, I'd need to know who the chef was. <laughs> Only a professional chef could say that. I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to. A cheese sandwich that's not gluten-free bread. (laughs) Finally, new heaven and new earth. Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and with their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Well, what an extraordinary scene. In simple, clear, crisp language, John on Patmos describes cosmic change. Paul in Romans 8 has intimated at the change in creation. He says the whole of creation is groaning as in longing to be free from the restraints that sin in the world has brought upon it. And I don't know about you, but I, I love our world, And I love the way you led this morning with a lot of trees and creation stuff. It's fantastic. And, and, and we love the world that God has made, but it's hard to believe that even now it's limited. It's less than what it was and planned to be. But there's going to come a day when all the shackles will be thrown off and creation itself will be renewed And then we'll see some sunsets. And then we'll see some fresh green leaves and and so forth. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And what's important is that it will be like this world. It is this world that gets transformed. It's not some other world. It is this world that will be transformed. Let me read you a little bit from Narnia. C.S. Lewis, with the genius of imagination, describes a conversation between Lucy and her oldest Narnian friend, the fawn, Mr. Tumnus. And uh, the lion has returned, Aslan is back, all is being transformed and changed. And the two of them are watching the unfolding of this new creation. I see, she said at last thoughtfully, I see now. This garden is like the stable. It is far bigger inside than it was outside. Of course, daughter of Eve, said the fawn, the further up and the further in you go, the bigger everything gets. The inside is larger than the outside. Lucy looked hard at the garden and saw that it was not really a garden at all, but a whole world with its own rivers and woods and sea and mountains. And here's the sentence. But they were not strange. She knew them all. They were not strange. She knew them all. I see, she said. This is still Narnia, but and more real and more beautiful than the Narnia down there, just as it was more real and more beautiful than the Narnia outside the stable. I see world within world, Narnia within Narnia, earth within earth. New heaven and a new earth. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord henceforth. Blessed deeds is the Spirit, that so they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them, to inhabit and to enjoy all the good things that God has provided. I've listed a few of the good things that you can see. You can see Jesus, all his glory. i love to have had time to preach on Revelation 1 you will see Jesus. Isn't that going to be amazing? You will see, as I've already indicated, the people that are there, friends, reunited, saints, explored. You will see home. Jesus explained to his disciples, John 14:1, that he was going to go ahead of them and he was going to prepare a place for them. The word place comes from the Hebrew word hamakom, which literally means home. Moses said in, in Psalm 91, Lord, you have been our home for all generations. And Jesus says, I, I'm going to prepare a home for you. Now, I don't know, imagine home. What do you do in home? Well, you can do what you jolly well like. It's your home. You can kick your shoes off, lounge on the settee. It's the place where you know where most of your stuff is. And you just are at home. I think it's a wonderful thought. Ceaseless praise, hallelujah, and the purpose of all things finally realized. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul quotes Isaiah 64 and verse 6. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The hope of glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.